Notice what the Bible says in Psalm 25 verse 4. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation and on thee do I wait all the day. Now any Christian that loves the Lord Jesus Christ ha will have or should have at least a strong desire to be led of God. Every single one of us, if we know Jesus Christ to be our shepherd, our saviour, our God, there ought to be a burning desire in our hearts to follow after the ways of God. In other words, asking God to lead us, to direct us, to guide us. And so why should a Christian have this desire? Ultimately, it's to please God. Ultimately, it's seeking the will of God to know what pleases God, what God loves, what God hates, what's his will. And so this is, ought to be the main goal for every Christian. Uh, for me, I would want to finish my course in such a way, knowing that my heavenly Father was pleased with all that I had done for his glory, that my ways will be pleasing unto the Lord. This is the whole purpose of being led by God. God, that you would show me, yes, there are good decisions to be made that benefit our lives, but what's the benefit? Ultimately, it's to please God. Yes, it's to bring good for our family, to bring good for our lives. God works all things together for good to them that love God. So we can't take that out of the equation. It is part of God's will that he's good to us. He blesses us and we must embrace that. That's how we worship God. He's a good God. He's a wonderful God. He's a great God. And therefore, I want to please him. So it's just not seeking God to be blessed by him. The blessings are a reflection of his praise. It's to seek God to be led by him, to praise him and to please him. And in the process of this, we are blessed. It's a wonderful blessing to be led of God. The ultimate purpose is to please God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that we are good soldiers chosen by God to please Him. You want to please God? Why do you want to be led? Why do you want your prayers answered? Is it because you want to please God in all things that you do? That should be the main motivation in seeking God. Now we see David here uh, have a desire to please God, have a desire to do the will of God. He trusted in God. To trust in God is to have faith in God, for without faith, listen, it's impossible to please Him, correct? So to trust God is to have a desire to do the will of God and to please God. But a desire is not enough. We must pursue the very thing that God puts in our hearts. And by the way, it is a work of God. For every Christian that is blood-bought in the Spirit of God that dwells in them, it is a work of God. Uh, the Bible clearly says, It is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his what? Good pleasure. And so we see that a desire is not enough. There must be an attempt to pursue that desire by faith. And David did. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 4, you don't have to turn there, but it says uh, very clearly, The soul of the sluggard desireth, but have nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So in other words, uh, we can have good desires, but we're not diligent enough to pursue them. We're sluggard or slothful or, or indifferent about them. They're desires, they're good, but we're not diligent enough to pursue them. The Bible says those that are diligent enough to pursue those desires shall be made fat, shall be satisfied. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
satisfied, content. And by the way, anyone doing the will of God, therein lies contentment. Anybody living to please God, there lies contentment. You live this life trying to please yourself, you'll be discontent. You weren't made for that. You were made for God's glory to please Him. All things were created by Him and for Him. You were made for Him. We find our worth and our satisfaction in our relationship with God. Outside of that, we're discontent. That's why the world is in trouble today. They're discontent. They're trying to pursue things outside of God and they're, they're just miserable. But even a Christian that tries to pursue things outside of God is miserable. And so there are two ways a man can live or go. We can go God's way or our way. We can seek to please God or self. We could either live to do the will of God or our will. It's two choices on the shelf. Which way do you want to go? And by the way, if you're not doing it God's way, I guarantee you, deep down, you're miserable. That's why you keep running after things, trying to fulfill movies and, and uh, music and this and that, and you're still miserable. People go around the world holidays, and there's nothing wrong with a holiday in its right place, but people go around the world on holidays, they come back more miserable. More miserable. They, gotta, they're, they're, they say this, they're coming down to earth. <laughs> the reality. It's kicking in. Oh, Monday virus, itis, whatever. Yeah. You know, they're always thinking about, oh, man, Friday, he comes Friday, we go drinks and drink up and then party on. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going to praise God. What's that? That's where we find our worth. That's why we were made. We were made to praise God. We were creatures to praise God. People live their own way to praise self, bring glory to self, satisfaction to self. And God forbid that our, our Christian life will be governed by this. Amen. It's either pleasing God or pleasing self. Now, in this psalm, we see David have a great desire or a determination to seek or to be led of God. It's a beautiful, you know, desire and a determination. As a matter of fact, throughout the psalms, you see David have a heart for God's will. Uh, psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O God, O my God. <clears throat> thy law is within my heart. David is known to have a heart for God. We know David to be a man after God's own heart. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, we see a man after God's own heart is someone that fulfills all of the will of God. You can't separate the two. And not only this, but we see David pursue after the very thing that God would have him to do. And over here, psalm after psalm, we see David's desire. In this psalm, we see, look at verse 1, David's desire to seek God. He says, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my what? Voice. Not my soul. Other places, he would lift up his voice, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this place here, he would lift up his soul. His very being. His whole, you know, fiber of his life. Uh, this is, if you would like, his whole heart. And, uh, and by the way, this is how we should seek God with every fiber of our lives, desiring to do the very thing. He wasn't content with having uh, just a little bit of God here and there and uh, God directing in this area and that area. He wanted God to direct his whole being. Under thee, O God, do I lift up my soul. We see David have a personal dependence upon God. This is a desire to depend upon God. I mean, even in Psalm 23, the most famous psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Although we can see the psalmist talk to God in a very uh, way that would combine every single one of us as plural, but here many times you say he's my shepherd. And in verse 2, he's my God, oh my God. 
And so it is with every single one of us here. ought to have a personal relationship with God. Your relationship doesn't depend upon me. Your relationship with God doesn't depend upon me. My relationship with God doesn't depend upon you. We ought to have a personal relationship with God. We know, ah, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though no one go with me, I still will follow. And so are you going to come to the point of the, your life that there are perhaps people going to be dropping off? Uh, those that once uh, held you know, uh, the truths of God's words in a funda fundamental way, those that are close to you that love God, they're going to be dropping off. Uh, where, have, where, where are the godly men? How has the godly men ceased? There, there are people that are going to fall by the wayside. But what will keep you going is your personal relationship with God. Your relationship with God does not depend upon others. It's you and God. That's where it began. Listen, that's where it needs to finish. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not working together or striving together for the sake of the gospel in relationship in the church. But think about this. Can you imagine everyone had their own personal, intimate relationship with God within the church? How would the church be? Mate, what a church. Because I can walk into the church and someone says something to me, someone doesn't say something to me. It doesn't matter. I'm here for God. My relationship is not dependent upon what I get or don't get from other people. Praise or no praise, it doesn't matter whether someone thanks me for ministry or not. I'm doing it for God. God is my shepherd. God will lead me. God will provide. God will uh, you know, balance the books one day. And we ought to have that relationship with God. And people will let you down. But God will never let you down. Never. You can mark that down. And so, in verse 2, we see a dependence. He says, oh my God, I trust in thee. Now, this is the proper use of using oh my God. Amen. Many people in the world today use it as blasphemy. So, you know, just using it flippantly. But over here, David says, oh my God, personal, I trust in thee. I depend upon you. He says, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You've heard this sung sometimes. What's he mean by this? What's he asking for God to do? Deliverance. Lord, I'm dependent upon you that you will deliver me from my enemies because anybody living in the will of God, doing the will of God, loving God, being led of God, listen, will be persecuted. Hey, they persecuted the prophets of old. They'll persecute you, Jesus said. David was pursued and persecuted. Why? Because he just wanted to live righteously and godly and soberly in this prayer. Anybody that trusts God, lives by faith to please God, will be persecuted. And over here, he wants deliverance. He doesn't want his enemies to think that they've got one over him. And you know, at the end of the day, there are people in this world today that would conspire, plan and plot. They hope for your downfall. They want to see you finished, done, dusted. There are many people in this world today that want to stop the work of God. They're called the enemies of the cross. And he says, Lord, I, I, you're my God. I've trusted in you. Please, Lord, don't let the enemy triumph over me. Don't let, the, don't let them get the best of me. And uh, let me not be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. He's asking for deliverance. Look at verse 3. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. He's connecting, waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord, depending on God. What would take place? 
being pursued, having enemies, being misunderstood. And those that depend upon God with their whole fiber, their being, listen, their soul, will have enemies. But those that want to live casually, carelessly, indifferent, you mark it down. Satan doesn't care about you. He doesn't. As a matter of fact, if you're carnal, you're, the, you're one of his tools, listen very carefully, to be used of him to continue to distort and distract the work of God. God forbid that that will ever take place. That I would give a foothold for the devil to be used to blaspheme the work of God or the name of God. God forbid that that will ever take place in the house of God. Can it? Absolutely. Now, he says, let none that wait, not only me, but anyone else that has this disposition, that wants to follow after God and trust God with every fiber, with every being, their whole heart, let them not be ashamed, Lord. And by the way, you won't be. It may look like, you know, the world is prospering and they have one over you. But the inner peace and grace that God gives in that hour, no man can give. You may look like you're going through some sort of shame and disgrace. But the, the lifting up of God in that hour, you cannot explain it. It may look like all men have fled. You may look like there is none that have uh, simply... Uh, stand with you. David had that feeling. The Apostle Paul had that feeling. Christ had that feeling. By the way, there are always scattered believers around the world, 7,000 or more perhaps that haven't bowed the knee. Well, this is what we want. Elijah felt this way. You'll be a foreigner living in this world if you depend upon God, wait on God, trust God. A foreigner. Even amongst your brethren at times, you'll be a foreigner. It's not that your brethren are not going through the same thing, but this is what you're going through. Everybody has different spur, you know, uh, times of growth. I don't understand what God is doing in your life at this hour, and, I, and you probably don't understand what God is doing in my life in this hour. I feel alone at times, but you know what? God is with you. Your own wife may not understand it, but that's okay. God does. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed, look, which transgress without cause. Let them be ashamed. Let those that sin be ashamed. Let those that do their own thing and have their own agenda be ashamed. Yeah, let them be ashamed. And by the way, they will be ashamed in that day. But notice now David's direction. We had his desire, his dependence, his direction. Now I think... This is the thrust of his prayer. This is the heart of his prayer. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art my God and my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. David asks for guidance and direction. This is a prayer that God invites every single one of us to do. In uh, chapters 27, verse 8 in Psalm, When thou saidest, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. God invites us to come and seek him. God invites us to come and knock, ask, and seek. And by the way, God answers prayer. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give them who ask him? 
Give good gifts to them. God answers prayer. If, if, you need, if you seek and knock and call, God will answer prayer in His time. And God invites you to come and seek Him. It's, it's the whole point of having a good relationship that's dependent upon God. In every circumstances of our life, we ought to be dependent upon God in our guidance and decisions that we make, especially when we're perplexed, especially when we don't know what to do in that very hour. God wants you to trust Him. Seek him. Lord, show me, he says. Now, this demonstrates a heart of, I want to observe your ways. Show me. I want to do them. It's an understanding to know God's will. Do you have that heart? Do you want to know God's will? Do you have a great desire to seek after those things that please God? Show me. Lord, if I don't, I want to know your will for me. What is it? Now, a lot of Christians don't know the will of God for their life. You need to know what God wills for you and pursue it. And you ought not to be content and not knowing it. Rather, you seek the Lord and you say, God, what will thou have me to do? Show me. And he will. He had a heart to understand God's ways. What a heart. Show me, Lord. David, is not, not a, he, he recognizes that he's not able to discern God's will without God. Lord, you show me. You show me. I can't show you God's will for your life in specific areas. I can only show you what is written here, for this is the will of God concerning you, that you give thanks in all things. Oh, this is for every Christian. But there are certain things that God will have you to do in certain circumstances that, hey, what do I do here, Lord? Show me. Show me. I'm not going to be content without you showing me. I'm not going to rest until you show me. It's like almost Jacob's prayer, wrestling with God. I want to know your will. Wise Christians have a teachable spirit, by the way. Look at the next. Teach me thy paths. Teach me thy paths. This is a heart to learn. So, Lord, when you show me thy will, teach me in thy will. Show me. It doesn't stop there. When God reveals things to you, shows things to you, uh, you may identify God's will for your life in certain areas. God wants to teach you along the way how to execute and exercise his will. He teaches you along the way. You're teachable. Okay, Lord, what now? What step do I take now? You watch, wait. Okay, Lord, how do you want me to revisit this? And you're just waiting to be taught by God. A heart that desires to mature in God's ways, in God's will. Understanding what the will of God is. This is what you know, Paul said to the Ephesians. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. What's the will of God? Then teach me in your will, Lord. Help me redeem the time. Walk circumspectly, carefully in your will. Help me know what it is and pursue it. You know, it's one of the greatest liberations that you can ever have is to know God's will and be taught to know how to fulfill it. Fulfill it. I know what God has called me to do. And I'm going to do that to the day I die unless God redirects me and shows me. I'm going to go on my marching orders and Lord, I'm waiting for your next ones. That's how I ought to live. And that's how a soldier, by the way, lives under the commanding Master, Lord, show me, teach me. And David understood that he cannot learn the paths of God unless God taught him. You know, sometimes you read the Bible, it's blurry to you. That doesn't make any sense. Or, or let me just say this to you. There's a reason for that. But let me just say this. Sometimes you read the Bible and it's just words on a page. And other times you know when specifically God has ministered to you 
in a very detailed, specific way. You have received revelation, insight. Listen, it's more than words on the page. And God's taught you something, but you've read that like 50 times. You've read that before. It's not like it never made sense or wasn't true. It's just what God is teaching you to, today from this proverb, from this passage, from this history lesson. Lord, teach me. I want to know. And I guarantee you, every time you read your Bible, God will teach you. God will show you concerning the things that he wants you to do. But are you having a desire to say, Lord, teach me, show me, direct me, lead me? There are some sermons that I hear, and I say, well, praise God for that. It spoke to me, but, you know, and there are other sermons that God spoke to me. I know what I need to do. <laughs> yeah, just something that God ministered to my heart. I was ready to receive it. I understood what God wants me to do. He maybe uh, confirmed it, enforced it, you know, just really put weight on that thing. And by the way, when he does, don't be unteachable. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Don't reject conviction, by the way. Conviction is good, especially when it comes from the Word of God. And so, it's been said that those best taught who understand their duty and know the good things that they should do. When I know what God wants me to do, he can teach me and lead me, and direct me, and guide me in his will. Can I just say, do you really want the will of God to be revealed in your life? Like, do you really want this? You want God's ways to be fulfilled? Do you want your faith to be stretched? You want to live beyond the capacity of what you see? Do you want God to do wonders in your life? Hey, you don't have to part the Red Sea or walk on water, so to speak. Certain things that God wants to do in your life that differs from Moses and Peter. But he wants to do things. We have Elijah that is simply a man of like passions. He struggled. He went through things. And yet God uh, used him uh, effectually. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Hey, Elijah is no different than you. You go through tough times. You go through famine, spiritual famine, so to speak. You go through uh, certain things like maybe some of you may not uh, have a Jezebel after you, but you might have a Jezebel after you. What do I do if I have a Jezebel after me that wants to get rid of me? Do I go in a cave and cry and say, God, I'm done? Or do I seek the Lord by faith? There's certain things that you must do. But do you, this, is, this is where it comes. Do you really care about God's will or do you just want to live from one day to another day and just getting by? Do you know, do, Christian, do you know how to discern the will of God for your life? Are you discerning the will of God? Well, have a look at verse three, uh, number three in that verse there. In verse five, it says, lead me in thy truth and teach me. He, David, demonstrates a heart, look, look, to follow. And by the way, good leaders are good followers. If you don't learn to follow, you will never learn to lead. And if you, if you follow, listen, uh, if you lead without following, you're going to learn how to be a dictator and you'll never serve. You'll do your duty and you'll sit down and you'll say, gird me. Gird yourself and serve me. A good leader is a good follower 
and a good follower is a servant. Every single, and this is what Jesus taught his disciples. Every leader served, but they were followers. They were followers of who? Him. Jesus was the greatest master leader that served. What an example. And so over here we see David have a heart or a desire to know God's truth or God's way. And by the way, we could never know the truth of God's word outside of this. Never. Never. He understood that the word of God was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. This is the light that would direct us. It starts with the Bible, God's word, and it ends with the Bible. Principles that cover one generation to another generation. That we can learn and, 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 and understand truth from God's word that will lead our lives. David in reality is saying here, look, show me, teach me, lead me, continue to teach me. <laughs> what a heart, what a desire, what a prayer. There's a man here that really wanted to understand what a disciple is. Listen, Jesus calls it a disciple indeed. You know what Jesus said? If you continue in my word, you are my disciple indeed. Not just, you know, here and there, but just continue in the word of God, receiving the hard parts, not just the easy parts, the difficult parts, hard things to swallow. Lord, I want every word. No man lives by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to live this book, not only just, you know, teach it, but breathe it. Live it. I want to know the truth. Teach me. I want to be a disciple indeed. I want to continue therein. That's his heart. That's what we see demonstrated. Someone that really wanted to be led by God. He says, for thou art my God, uh, the God of my salvation, verse 25, look at this, uh, verse 5. On thee do I wait all the day. So what's he saying? He says, Lord, I'm seeking your ways. I'm seeking your will. I'm seeking your word. And I'm going to wait. This is a man that was just content with God's direction and guidance in his life. Now, I want to pull out one thing in the remainder of our time that we have. In this passage, we see several things that God requires for, from us in order to be led. So what we see is good prayer, good heart, good desires, but there's a disposition that God requires from you and me in order for us to continue to be led. Without these several dispositions, we cannot be led even if we had a great desire. Even if our prayer was directed to God and even if we were looking into his word and, and, uh, and, and seeking truth and so forth, without these dispositions, there is no way in the world that God was able to lead us. And so I want to touch on one. There are several that I see in this passage in Psalm 25, but I want to touch on one. And it's in verse 9. Have a look. Look at this, verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment. In judgment? Yeah, in discernment. He'll give him wisdom. But who does he give it to? The meek. And the meek will he teach his way. 
This is a presupposition. This is the very requirement that God wants for every single one of us, and we can't miss this because this is a ripple effect to all the other keys that we'll learn from Psalm 25. I just want to touch on the first. You have this, everything will fall into place. Because God can't teach someone that is proud. God cannot teach someone that is stiff-necked. Listen, God cannot teach someone that is set in their ways. God cannot teach someone that is planning their life outside of God's will. Such boasting is evil. God will only teach and lead those that humble themselves, the meek, under his hand, under his word. The word meek means lowly, humble. God will guide the lowly, the humble. Uh, meekness is one of the characteristics of a Christian or a child of the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <clears throat> uh, meekness should be manifested within our calling, by the way. Ephesians 4, 1, 2. I, will therefore the I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you work worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness, and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Three, meekness should be a garment that clothes the Christian. Apostle Peter said, be clothed with humility. No matter where we are, where we go, we ought to be humble. Number four, meekness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And so, by the way, this is a very good indication whether or not you are led by the Spirit of God that if meekness is manifested in your life. And so we want to see what are some characteristics or marks of humility. Let's look at the first. Go to Romans chapter 12. A mark of humility does not think highly of self. Have a look at Romans 12. Look at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is what? Your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this is a lead up to if you really want to know and discern the will of God, you have to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Listen, you must be a surrendered vessel in the hand of God and you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want God's word to renew this mind, this thinking, that you may be able to discern. But look at verse 3. Look, notice what he says. Sometimes we miss this and just focus as, uh, we focus on verse 1 and 2. But look at verse 3. He says this, For I say through the grace given unto me, and we're going to see this word grace uh, multiple times as we look at the different passages. Uh, the Apostle Paul wasn't foreign to God's grace. As a matter of fact, it was the only way to receive God's grace is through humility. Everything that the Apostle Paul done was by the grace of God, and the grace of God is given to those that are humble. So I labored more abundantly, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 2 Corinthians 12 indicates to us that it was a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, that he may rest in the power and the strength of God. I guarantee you, you lift yourself up, and, uh, and, and you, you know, you're boastful and prideful and all the rest of it in ministry, the grace of God will not rest upon you to do the very thing that God wants to do and stretch your faith and, lead, and, faith and lead you and go beyond what God has simply called you to do. It's the grace of God that started in our life and the grace of God will finish what he started. But we must continue to yield to him by faith. But look, what, look at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, every man, 
Look at this. Not to think himself more highly than he ought to think. He says himself, not someone else. You can think all you want about someone else and think that they're boastful and prideful and, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, they may not be before God. You know, confidence in the Lord is not pride. Confidence to do the very things that God has called you to do by His grace is not pride. Sometimes we think this, by the outward expression, someone that's humble is just, oh yes, yes God bless you. And uh, soft-spoken and just, you know, there's a form of humility in that area that you're modest, absolutely. But you look at the life of Christ, the life of Moses, the life of Apostle Paul, Peter, they were confident in the Lord. Christ was confident in God's will. I can't do... He, he, he said, I, I can't do this alone. My Father's with me. So when you have God with you and He's given you grace to do things that is beyond you, and you have confidence... That, that, listen, that, that's, praise God for that. That is God's strength manifested. And so there's nothing wrong to simply uh, rise up and trust God to do some things that to another man's eye, oh, look how prideful he is. No. Hey, you may be in pride yourself by thinking that of your brother or sister. Be, be, be very careful. You know, this is the thing. If every single person in its right place focus, focused on themselves in this area, I guarantee you everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. You'd practice church discipline. Oh, how arrogant that church. They, they think they're not sinless. They think they're sinless. Well, that's a command that God wants you to do and practice. And by the way, it's a, it's a daunting thing and it's a, a heart-penetrating thing for a person. You ought never, ever glory in the fact that you're putting someone on church discipline. It is absolutely a difficult task. But you may be accused. Oh, look, look, look prideful they are they think they're only you know holier than our attitude and and i understand there are people that are like that but we ought not to be that way look he says let let he says not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but what to think soberly according as god have dealt to every man the measure of faith God has given a measure of faith to every man that would work the will of God and, and, and by the grace of God. And, the, and you ought not to be thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. You know, if you are used of God, it's because of the grace of God and the measure of faith that is given to you. It comes from God. This is of God. Gifts are from God. Power and strength are from God. If we think more highly of ourselves, we're done. We're finished. And to think soberly is to recognize and understand that without God's grace, listen, we are nothing and can do nothing. And that's what happened to the church at Corinth. You know, they, they stumbled at the fact that they were something when they were nothing. They were actually divided. Not the apostles, but the church. The apostles were never divided. Those that worked amongst the church were never divided. They worked in harmony for the sake of the church. But the carnal Corinthians were the ones that were causing division and Paul was going to put a stop to it. I'm paraphrasing now because I don't have time to go into this. But he says, hey, listen, I plant Apollo, Apollos waters, but who gives the increase? God. So he makes it very clear Paul and Apollos are zeros. We're nothing without God. 
And my friend, if you are used by God and the grace of God, glory in God. Amen. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being used of God and God using you to affect people's life. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your heaven. When, when you're being used of God, someone else might look at you and think, oh, there's some compromise taken there. When, when something happens, there's always compromise. When nothing happens, then it's a dead church. We've got to be very careful. Our judgment, our discernment, our, it's, if we're not careful, we could just have it warped. Listen, focus on what God wants to do in your life by the measure of grace and faith that he's given to you. God has called every single person to serve him in a different way, yet for the same cause and for the sake of the edifying of the body of Christ and for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God. <clears throat> Have a look at Galatians 6 quickly. A mark of humility is to understand that without God we are nothing. We are nothing. This ought to be embedded in our hearts. Because when you are used of God, you know what happens? Thank you, Lord, for using me. Thank you. What a privilege. What an honor to be used of God. Don't you find it an honor to be used of God? I don't know about you, but I want to be used of God in someone's life, whether it's a, in a little way or a big way. It's up to the Lord, right? But I want to be used as a vessel in God. And I, I'm sure I believe God wants, you, wants to use every disciple. We'll look at that in a moment in John 15. He wants you to be used to bear fruit for his glory. That's, that's a disciple. Whether it's the fruit is seen or not. And when it's seen, we have the privilege to thank God for it. And it's encouraging. Uh, we can't say that fruit, when we see it, is not encouraging. I mean, come on. I mean, we're going to the point now where so, it's like a, you know, crossing the line of humility. Oh, you know, I'm too humble to even acknowledge the fruit and thank God for it. Come on, there's fruit. Praise God. It's what Jesus says. We all praise God and glory, glory to God together. Sometimes when things happen, we think, oh, you know, there's got, there's got to be an interior motive. Something went wrong. We're, you know, we're almost on the back foot, like the, as if God can't work today. And God can work today, and he wants to use vessels in his hand. With or without you, God will work his good pleasure. Amen? Amen. We heard today that if we don't sing, who will sing? That's right. Can you imagine that? I've always tried to imagine what, you know, imagine those rocks with voice boxes and pew, just praising God, praising God. Well, it's not unusual for the creation to praise God. Every time you hear a bird sing, that's praising God because he made it to do what birds should do. Sing. Fly. Flower smells. And he uses it even as an illustration to say, hey, your life is just like this flower. He gets the glory in every area of life. Little ant, learn from your ant. Yeah, little ant we can learn from. Consider the ant thou sluggard. Look how diligent it is. It doesn't even have any overseer and knows what it needs to do and it does it. Galatians 6, look at verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of what? Meekness. Meekness. Can, we're going to understand what meekness here is. Because again, a mark of humility understands that without God we are nothing. Alright? Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So when you're restoring some, someone, you're understanding the very fact that that brother or that sister that has fallen 
I can be in that place. And if it weren't for the grace of God, there I go. And God taught me some things along the way that I could just simply say, hey, I'm going to beware, you know, this, I'm going to beware. I'm going to have discretion to stay away from this and stay away from that. And, 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 and God's going to help me through this. But maybe this person hasn't had the privilege to be under the teaching that I've had. And so I'm going to just gently say, hey, you know what the Bible says, brother? Rather than doing this to them. You should know better. You know, there are some people that don't know. They're ignorant. And God always in the scriptures hold those that do know better accountable. And so in the spirit of meekness is to help those just get up when they fall. And there are people, especially those that are new to the faith and are infants in the Lord, that need more guidance than those that are mature. God shows them something. Yeah, they did something wrong. We're going to get there in a moment. Meekness is to identify that you've done wrong and you deal with it. But you know what? At the end of the day, look at verse 3. Look at this. For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he's nothing, he what? He deceives himself. You know why I became something? You know why I, the Lord has used me and why the Lord has matured me in the faith and I become a spiritual, mature person? Because it was the grace of God that worked in me. God worked those graces in me. And God wants to work graces in people's life, this virtue in other people's life. We must not forget the work of God in our lives and the process it took. It's God's work. It's a, it's a wonderful process. He, he works his good pleasure in us. Both the will gives us the desire and the ability, the grace to fulfill it. Where's good desires to do the will of God come from? From him. Where's the ability to perform it come from? From him. So everything that's done in my life up to this point, it's all of God. And God wants to do the same work in that person's life. We need to be very careful. The main reason we grow and mature in the faith is because, the faith because God has worked in our life. It's God's working. And God can only work by his grace in our life when we are humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. Number three, a mark of humility is to understand that without God, we can do nothing. Go to John 15. A mark of humility is to understand that without God, we can do nothing. Look at verse four. Abide in me. And I in you, that word abide means to remain or to continue in. This is in the way of the Lord. This is having the Lord order our steps. This is to commune with Christ. This is to share in his love and the, and the Father's love. Uh, and I in you as the branch cannot, look at this, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Cannot. You can't detach yourself from the vine. You cannot, Christian, detach yourself from Christ. If you're not walking with the Lord, in obedience to the Lord, then there's no way in the world that you're going to bear fruit. Except ye abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. It's clear, you cannot. You may seem that you're bearing fruit because you're applying the principles of God's word that, you know, if you sow good things, you'd reap it. But without Christ... You know, working, miracle work of graces, at best, you'll see the fruit, but you'll lose your reward. How many things that we do in the flesh and not in Christ, and they're good things, and they've worked in the lives of people, but one day we'll lose our reward because they weren't done in Christ. Have a look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. 
He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bring forth, look at this, much fruit. So what do you mean? What kind of much fruit? Well, this could talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of forming you to be like Christ and living like Christ in every sense of the word. By the way, you focus on this and you fo focus on the fruit of the Spirit and to be conformed into Christ, watch God use you in a way that will glorify Him. He says this, you'll bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And look at verse 8. What's the purpose of bearing fruit? Herein in my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Wow. Because that's what God made you to do. Yeah, like the birds sing for his glory. God made you to bear fruit, to be Christians. To live after Christ. Christ formed in you. The Apostle Paul, I labored for this point that God will be formed. Christ will be formed in you. And if you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, Christ formed in you. God can use you in an amazing way. He'll lead you and guide you. But without God, you can do nothing. Without the Lord, you can do nothing. Without the Spirit of God, you can do nothing. He says, so shall ye be my disciples. This is the whole purpose of a disciple of Christ. Someone that says, show me. Someone that says, uh, teach me and lead me. Is so that we're disciples bearing fruit for his glory. Number four, humility understands that we are prone, listen, to fall in sin. We are all prone to fall in sin. It's, it's prideful to think that God cannot do any more than he wants to do in our life and that we've arrived. Because sin is not only falling into gross sin, listen very carefully, sin is also quenching the Spirit of God in your life. You know what it means to quench the Spirit when God wants to use certain things to stretch your faith and he wants to lead you and guide you and, and, uh, and, and by faith you obey. So disobedience is what? Sin? You quench the Spirit of God at work in your life. It's a prideful thing to, to think that you've come to the point where you can't be taught anymore. You're, you're, God can't do anymore. There's always room to, for growth, don't you think? Have a look at Proverbs 9. In every area, we, we can even talk about parenting. We can talk about husbands and wives. We can talk about uh, our different responsibilities, our work ethics, everything, in every area, in every area of our life. Yeah. Even we find, specifically, talking to servants of those that are working for their masters, that he says very clearly, do, you know, do your work as unto the Lord with your whole heart. You know, in every area we're talking about, there's always room to grow. There's always room to develop. There's always room to be a better husband, better father, better teacher, better soul winner, better friend. There's always room to grow. We, we've come to the point of our lives and we think we can't be taught anything anymore, then we've come to the point of pride. Have a look at uh, Proverbs 9 and look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. He that repro uh, reproofeth a scorner getteth himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will yet be what? Wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in what? Learning. You know, David understood that he was prone to sin. Prone to wonder. He says, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. 
The proverb uh, writer, the wisdom of God says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus said, and uh, when he taught his disciples, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're all susceptible, brethren. Pride thinks, now nah, I've got this. No. You've got to be very careful that without the grace of God, you've got nothing. And you're susceptible to, 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 to see you later. Go, fall. I've got to keep moving for the sake of time, but a mark of humility is to confess and forsake sin when you fall into it. Don't undermine your sin. Don't undermine your sin. Go back to Psalm 25. One of the hardest things for any human to do is to admit their sin. And I don't mean admit and say, yeah, we've all lied. Who hasn't? Not that kind. I mean, I really admit their sin. I have sinned. I have acknowledged my sin. I've done this. I am guilty. I have not acknowledged my sin. Not just in a very, very blasé way like we see some of the people in the world today. Are you a sinner? Yeah, yeah, I love it. They admit their sin, but they take pleasure in doing it, Romans chapter 1. I'm talking about really identifying your sin and actually being broken because of it. Like, I am sick of this and just recognizing it and calling it for what it is in your own life. Not undermining it, not blame shifting. Not, look, have a look, verse 11, have a look. Look what David says. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is what? Great. He saw it. He saw it. And look at verse 18. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sin. What a heart. It's never good to justify your sin or even blame shift the reason why I did this is because of that and I had, hadn't this happened I would not have done that maybe, maybe true but focus on your sin focus on you oh the devil made me do it no the, de the devil tempted you to do it and you fell for it David fell for numbering the people the devil tempted him and he numbered the people a lack of trust in God by the way it was great consequences that had taken place. We should never undermine sin and the consequences it has bearing upon the individual. Never. I was looking through my phone the other week and uh, I was looking through my phone and I had all these screenshots and photos and thinking, who's been on my phone? It was like, I don't know, 10 of them. And I went, I flicked through some of them and and we're at the dinner table and, and Timo jumped up and says, oh, Gracie was on your phone. I said, really? And he had this shirt that was striped shirt. And I went through and through and all of a sudden I was looking at, it was a selfie and it was the striped shirt that he was wearing. Um, and so it happened at the same day that I was looking through and he was wearing that shirt and I said, ah, oh, brother, you've been caught. He goes, no. I said, I could see your shirt here. Look. And I went, kept going through the phone that's him brother i can see your hand that's no one taking a photo of you that's you taking a photo of yourself you've been on my phone and you blame someone else no and he started crying and and it just it got him really just fearful he ran to his room not long after he came back and he said dad sorry for lying 
And you know what that did to my heart? Lesser discipline. <laughs> you know, when you confess your sin and you admit to it, God has grace and mercy. But if you're going to be stubborn and you're going to be prideful and you're going to make excuses, he's going to discipline you. You won't prosper. You know, God is not there waiting to discipline you. Like, no, no father wants to discipline their child. He wants to guide you and direct you and lead you. But would you let him? And you can't if you're going to just simply say, oh, it wasn't me. Sam, they did it. Oh, own up to your faults. And that's how God's going to lead you. Listen, it's meekness to own up. It's humility to own up. And God will continue to lead you. Dust yourself. By the grace of God, get up in fear and trembling. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please pick me up by your grace and lead me along. And remain humble. Don't, don't, get, don't just get overly confident again. Because you might fall in the same trap. Say, Lord, not only please forgive me of my sin. Listen, teach me so I may not commit this anymore. Hide thy word in my heart. Why? So I may not sin against thee, O Lord. It's got to be a serious thing. It's got to be something that's sober. Don't just continue to commit the act and, yeah, I'm just growing and I'll get over it. No, be sober, be humble, be diligent. Amen. Get on top of it. Amen. You have a struggle? We all struggle. All the more where to find verses in the Bible to help you with your struggles. Meditate, hide them in your heart. What are you struggling with? Say, this is what I struggle with. Pray for me. What's wrong with that? That's, that, oh, that's, that's not, that's weakness. No, my friend, that's meekness. And that's strength. Because that's the person God will guide. Yes. A lot of people can't even admit their weaknesses. Just can't, can't, can't come out. Why? Because I've got none. Oh, really? Wow. And then when you start spilling the beans, some people won't jump on top of it. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do. Because you know that there are some people that will play you in that area instead of encouraging you in that area. But it doesn't matter. And by the way, husband and wife, if you confess your faults one to another, don't use it as ammo to get one on them. Don't do that. That's not love. Encourage them, help them, support them, pray for them. Don't rub that little speck in their eye. Yeah, you know what Jesus said? If you're spiritual, take the beam out of your own eye and help your brother with that little speck. And you know, by the way, have you ever had a speck in your eye? It is so irritating, as little as it is. And you want it out, don't you? I mean, you can't even think anymore. You're trying to find someone to help you. Yeah. <laughs> Wash it out, somebody. Yeah. And so, you know, we got specs. Big deal? Yes. Deal with them? Wonderful. Don't undermine sin. As small as they are, don't undermine it. Deal with it soberly. Be humble. God will lead you. You know why God led Peter? And I'm talking about Peter had big blunders. But you know what God led him? In the beginning of his ministry and throughout his ministry, at the end of his, the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the Apostle Peter, but in the life of Christ, when Peter dwelt with Christ, you know why 
Jesus continued to lead him, even in his blunders. Right from the beginning, when he actually kind of questioned the Lord and doubt, doubted him when he said, cast your nets, he actually fell down and was broken because he saw it, the Bible says. So what, the fishes? Well, the fishes was a reflection of him responding the way he did to Jesus' word. He saw his doubt in Christ, and it broke him. And he was just, depart from me, he said, for I am a wicked man, sinful man. And then right at the end, when he denied Christ three times, after he says, I'm going all the way, I'm going to go to the death. Everybody forsake you. I won't forsake you. I'll lay down my life. And what did he do? Three times denied Christ, wept bitterly. You think he was casual about it and said, yeah, I just denied Christ. and That's all right. God will forgive me. No. He wept bitterly. He was broken. And listen, brethren, God leads the broken. Do you do blunders? Yeah, you do. Do you glory in them? No, you don't. They break you. And then at the Sea of Tiberias, John chapter 21. Mate, this is what you call fine dining. <laughs> With the master. Little barbecue, some fish. That's, this is fine dining. I, I, every time I think about this passage, it blows me away. That God in the flesh will sit with a man that had a heart for God, but God was trying to straighten him out. He was molding Peter. It was Peter that said, be clothed with humility, because he was learning it in the life of Christ. Do you love me? Absolutely. Do you love me more than these? Yes, I do. By the way, have you ever wondered what the these were? More than these, the disciples, more than these, the fish? Regardless, I love you more than anything in this world. And Peter, you do what I've called you to do. Get up. Lack of faith, you fell, get up. Get up, and you know what? Jesus knows how to lift us up in due time when we're humble. By his grace, and he does a work despite what people think of you. Yeah. Because you know between you and the Lord what he's doing in your heart. You know what he's doing to humble you. And he wants to humble every single one of us and break us and lead us to that point of being useful fruitful for his glory. Let's go to Micah chapter 6 and we're done. Micah chapter number 6 and we're done. Micah prophesied during the reign of Hezekiah. He was set forth by God to warn the people regarding their coming judgment and at the same time call them to repent. There were people that abandoned the things of God. They were going to other 
so-called uh, dependents. Uh, they were prideful, if you will, walking in their own ways. Chapter 1, Micah makes it clear that God is a witness against them. God is testifying against you. Yeah, I'm the prophet used by God, but hey, listen, it's God that has a problem with you. We also see in chapter 1 that they'll call in caught in idolatry. This means they turned away from the living God to go and um, follow after these idols that cannot in any way bring the counsels in which God brings. Foolish. Chapter 2, God calls out their injustice against their neighbours. God's witness, witnesses uh, in you know, unkind dealings with those that are trying to uh, uh, live in a way that perhaps attempts to please God, but they're, they're, mis they're just taking, they're taking you know, advantage of the vulnerable. And, and people do, do this. They take advantage of the vulnerable. Christians can do this. They were guilty in covetousness. Uh, chapter 3, God marks out the leaders that were corrupted. Actually, I want you to see this. Have a look at Mark 3. Ah, sorry, Micah 3. And God marks out the leaders that were corrupted and tolerating sin. And look, listen, embracing false prophets. He says in verse 1, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes, the house of Israel. These are the leaders. <laughs> These are the ones that are overseeing Israel. Is it not for you to know judgment? It's a question. Is it not for you to know judgment? Who hate the good and love the evil? My word. Can you even begin to think for people, even leaders, to come to the very point of their life to have no discernment whatsoever, don't know the will of God, unwise, they call good evil and evil good, they justify the wicked and overthrow the righteous in judgment? Can that take place? Yes, it is. And you're going to see it take place more and more as we live in these dark days. You're going to see it. People embracing sinners more than the righteous. Yeah. I can't even begin to think about the false accusations that have come my way over these 10 years in ministry. One just recently. False to the core. And that person's spouse rang me up yesterday and said to me, you know what? I don't believe that accusation against you. And it came from someone that they were dear to, very close. I don't believe anything they say anymore. I'm thinking to myself, but it was a false accusation. And the reason why they didn't believe that person anymore is because that person was a constant liar. But can you imagine that person wasn't a constant liar and was reputable? The accusation still stands. Man, is there a court of law that knows what justice means in the house of God? It's, it's diminishing, brethren. This is what happened here. The, the righteous will be overthrown in, ju in, in judgment. God's got a problem with that. And every godly man ought to have a problem with that. Every godly parent ought to have a problem with that. We ought to be on the side of truth. But today, sin is elevated. 
Sin is glorified. Ah, he's just struggling. And if you're hard on sin, oh man, take it easy. Yeah, we ought to forbear one another in love, amen? But we ought to never tolerate sin. Never! We ought to hate sin in our own lives more than anything else. And God reminds the people in chapter 6 how he brought them out of salvation and was good to them. Look at, look at this. I want you to see chapter 6. The Lord appeals to them. He puts forth accusations against them in the way they accuse God of having a heartless heart. And now God deals with the issue. He says in verse 3, Oh, my people, still calls them his people. What have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? I t testify against me. You know what God is saying? Testify. Witness against me. Where, where have I done wrong? For I brought thee out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of the servants and I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I led you out of bondage. I led you out of captivity. I, led, I gave you salvation. I fed you. I, I gave you drink and you treat me like this. By the way, there are some people in the wilderness that were stiff-necked, prideful. And God was trying to even lead a stick Stiff-necked people, if it weren't for Moses to intervene, the one that would be meek and intervene for the people, finished. By the way, he was a type of Christ. If it weren't for Christ intervening or interceding for us, we'll be done. And so God reminds them how he led them out. Look at verse 5. God reminds them how he intervened and reversed the attempts of Balaam to curse the people. The false prophet wanting to curse God's people. And he, God, intervenes and, and turns that curse into good. He's a, he's a good God. God is good to you. What's the problem? What's the issue? Oh, you just, you just, you're God, you're a God of righteousness and you mark out sin, you know. Oh, is that what it is? You don't like your sin to be exposed when you, when you, when you have sinned indeed. Verse 6 and 8, we see Micah challenge by a series of questions that will help every one of them search their hearts and understand, listen, what God truly requires from them and from us. Look at this. Look at verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, the calves of the year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I even give my firstborn for my transgression, the, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is, is this is what God is really requiring? Because all these things can be done in a prideful heart. All these services and sacrifices that you bring to God can be done in a very boastful way. So what's God really requiring? What does God want? Have a look. Verse 8, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? Three things, but to do justly. You know, God loves justice. He loves it. Read the book of Proverbs. And to love mercy. You know, God loves when we show mercy 
You know why? Because we've been shown mercy. And But look at this. And to walk humbly with thy God. What God requires from every single one of us is to have a humble walk with God. This is, listen, you want God to lead you? Then you need to humble yourself. Because humility is the very key that will keep you in fellowship with God. And being in fellowship with God means that He's going to lead you along. The great shepherd. The Spirit of God will not be quenched or grieved. How, how is this a fruit of the Spirit? Meekness. Because the Spirit of God is the one that prompts us when we begin to be proud and begin to make excuses for our rebellion. And so as he reveals it to us, we put on the handbrake and we say, I'm not doing that. Nope. No, it's not worth it. I'm going to humble myself. Because I can't afford not to be led by God. I'm not going to have this be the great separator between me and my, my God. My fellowship with God is not going to be broken because of this. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to call it for what it is. Humility is a must in the Christian life. It's a must. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 25. Good and upright is the Lord, he will teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. You want God to show you, teach you, lead you? Well, the Bible says the meek, he will guide in judgment. The meek. Those that are humble. May God help every single one of us desire not only to be led by God, listen, to be walking with God, to know what pleases God, but not only this, but to have a humble disposition not to think ourselves more highly than we ought to think. To understand the marks of a humility is to realize that without God we are nothing and we can do nothing. And to understand that we are prone to wonder. And there's a lot of work to be done this side of heaven. And to understand that if I sin, Lord, I'm going to admit it. And I'm going to take it serious. I'm not going to dumb it down, make excuses. I want you to deal with my weaknesses. One, listen, by one. And when you do, and you give me the victory and the strength, I'm going to praise you. I used to do that, but not anymore. God's given me victory. Isn't that a blessing? And God's going to strengthen me to be a better, better Christian. Because, you know, if you're Christian at first, Christ follower, wanting to be like him, everything else will fall into place. You'll be a good Christian father, a good Christian husband, a good Christian mother, a good Christian uh, uh, daughter, a good Christian son, good Christian worker, good Christian boss, good Christian pastor, good Christian preacher, good Christian soul winner, good Christian everything. Christians is what we are first. Christ followers, conformed in his image. And we must be humble. Because God can't work with someone that is proud or stubborn 
doesn't know how to follow, doesn't know how to serve. They're duty workers. They just do their duty. That's it. God wants someone humble, working on, leading, guiding, stretching. Someone that has a desire to continue to be following. Lord, teach me. Show me your ways. And they're not content. They want more of God. They want more of his will. They want to see what's happening. They're not content. They want to know, Lord, please. And the only way God will show you is when you're humble under his hand. Don't forget it. There are several other things in this passage. We don't have time. But they all relate. They all go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And God willing, perhaps next week we'll look at the second character trait to have in order for God to lead us. Do you want to be led? Do you want God's will? Well, remember this. Be humble. Be humble. Let's pray.